Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How you guys doing? Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and you know what? Never fall for this trap of, well, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. Um, you know, because there's some times where he walks through the walls of the room where the disciples are gathered, and there's other times where he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And so don't sit in the room and just think, well, if God wants to come in, he will, because he could be standing at the door knocking and waiting for you to say, I want you, and opening the door and allowing him into those things. Because he did both, right? Disciples are huddled in fear, and he says he just walked through the walls. Came right through. They didn't have to open the door. But then Jesus says in the letter to one of the churches, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And so make sure that you're not sitting in a room waiting for him to walk through a wall while he's standing at a door waiting for you to open it. Yeah, because he can do either, right? He can tell the people, stand and Moses, raise your staff and I'll part the water in front of you and don't take the first step until there's dry land. And then he can tell them, I want you to step into the water and as you step in, then I'll part the water and then I'll make the land dry. He can do either of those. And if you're waiting for him to part the water in front of you and he's waiting for you to step, guess who's going to be waiting the long, long time? Because I promise he's more patient than you are. Um, you ever have a good Christmas? Yeah? I had an awesome Christmas. Um, uh, Christmas is just amazing. And think, there's only 359 days until it's Christmas again. So it's practically right around the corner. Um, Open your Bibles up to John chapter 21. Uh, Dylan spoke a couple weeks ago, and he, he used this passage for part of it. And So I was reading and, and saw some things that stood out to me that I really wanted to talk about. And I really feel like it, it's, it's a word for, um, for a lot of people for, for right now. Like, this isn't just like a principle thing. It's actually a thing that's going to speak to right where you are. And it was pretty amazing. I'll share something in a, in a minute after the first service uh, that I heard. But... Um, in John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan, Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out, got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work. And threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not that far behind, from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Uh, God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that as we read these words on this page, God, that, that we're not just reading a book to put it on a shelf, Father, but we see you. We see your heart. We see who you've called us to be, God. We see the way that you treat us and, and who you want to be in and through and for us. And God, I ask that as, as I read today and as I speak today that your spirit would guide my words. And God, that they would find their way into the soil of our heart that our hearts would be good soil, God, that, that the seed of your word would, would put down roots and begin to grow and bear fruit, that a world that's dying doesn't know you, God, would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you're good. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is real similar to the first story of when Jesus met Peter. Remember, he was preaching, he got onto Peter's boat. And told Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach. And after he got done preaching, then he said, um, you know, put out into the deep water, cast your nets over. And Peter's, you know, we've done it all. We fished all night, all that stuff. And if you're looking from the outside, looking in, this looks for everybody that's watching and reading and, and looking. And if you were watching their lives, it looks like 
Peter's kind of right back where he started. And think about this. This is Peter who experienced amazing, incredible things with Jesus. Like, he was there and, and saw the food multiplied as they gave it out to people. He was one of the ones that Jesus sent out and gave authority over demons and said, go and cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel of the kingdom. This, this Peter was there. He was there when he saw Jesus walk on water. In fact, he was one of the ones, he was the one that got out of the boat and actually started to walk on water. This Peter, who's experienced all these things, has now come to a place where for anybody looking, and even for his own mind, if he's not fixed on the Lord, it looks like he's just right back where he started. He's in a boat. He's going fishing. Once again, he hasn't caught anything. Jesus doesn't even have to be prophetic. The disciples, <laughs> they just didn't catch anything. They said, you guys don't have any fish, do you? No. But I want to just say this because I feel like there's people here who maybe feel this way. You may, it may look, and your circumstances may look like you're right back where you started, but you're not because you've changed. Because you've learned things, and you've experienced things, and you've learned about Him, and you've learned truth that changes the way that you think and changes the way that you see. And you may be in a similar circumstance, but your circumstances don't define who or where you are. And though everything looks the same, and though even when we read these two stories, they look so similar, they're worlds apart because Peter's not the same Peter that he was the first time Jesus stepped onto his boat. I want to just show you, looking at these first two, listen, do this. When you see two stories in the Bible, or two things happen in the Bible that happen uh, time, and then later they happen and it seems similar, compare the two and you'll find amazing things in there. Because they're recorded for a reason, even some of the wording. So, like journey, I just want to, I, I want to encourage you with this. Like journeying with Jesus doesn't mean that you won't every now and then end up discouraged or confused or not knowing what to do next. Like, I, I, I wish I could tell you that you'll never come to a place where you look around and go, after everything I've experienced, after all I've been through, after everything I saw happen, how could I be here? Because there was that temptation for Peter, I promise you, probably, as he's standing there on a he says to them, I'm going to go fishing. He doesn't know what else to do. He's already left his nets once. He's already left his boats and started following Jesus. But now the kingdom didn't come the way they thought the kingdom was coming. And, and Jesus is gone and died and raised again. And who knows what's exactly going on. But Peter's just at his place where he's like, you know what? I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go fish. But I just want to say, like, even though everything looks the same, there's something that's so different because he's not the same Peter. And so he goes out to fish. They fish all night. They don't catch anything. The sun starts to come up and... Once again, someone's telling them what to do. But look at the first time. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. It says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. The first time, they're not even where they need to be. The first time, they've got to go from where they are to a different place and then do something in order to catch, make a catch. When you first start following Jesus, a lot of times there's these drastic changes that happen because you're not where you need to be. Because you were living your life for you. You weren't being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. You never even considered that maybe he had a plan for your life and this wasn't it. You just did what felt good in the moment. You just did what felt good to you. What seemed right. The way that seems right to a man. And a lot of times it ends us up in a place that's nowhere in where Jesus wants us to be. Not even close. So Jesus says, listen, you're not where you need to be, and you're not even doing the thing you need to be doing. You're not fishing. You're actually mending nets. And you're not where you need to be. Peter, if you want to catch fish, you have to go from where you are to the place that I'm telling you to go. And then once you get there, then you can do something that will cause you to catch fish. But the first thing you have to do, Peter, is you have to get where I need you to be. There's got to be some obedience. You've lived your life up to this point doing what was right to you. And it got you here. And I'm telling you, I have something for you, but it's going to require you leaving where you are and going where I'm telling you to go. And until you do that, Peter, you could fish all night long every single night and you're not going to catch what I have for you to catch. And you may catch a few fish. Listen, you may catch a few fish. 
I'm not saying your life's going to be a complete failure. I'm saying you're not going to catch what he wants you to catch until you actually go where he's calling you to go, until you consider that maybe he has something for me. Maybe he has a plan for my life. Maybe he knows something that I don't know. And so this is at the beginning, right, Peter? He says, he says get in your boat. This was not like a slight adjustment. This was a big deal. It was get in your boat and go somewhere. Go out into the deep water, and then I'll tell you what to do out there. You can put your nets down. You'll catch this catch, right? And so look at the second time. John 21, verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find a catch. After following Jesus for three years, even when they weren't doing things exactly right, they were pretty close. It wasn't this huge adjustment. It wasn't, all right, Peter, I need you to go from where you are to over here. It was, you're right where you need to be, and you're doing what you need to be doing. What you need now is just a word from me. You don't need this huge change of course. You don't need this huge adjustment that you needed the first time, Peter. You're actually right where you need to be, and you're doing what you need to be doing. The only thing you're lacking is a word from me, and when I give you that word and you act on it, suddenly you'll catch more than you ever dreamed you could catch. Sometimes we're walking around the desert looking for a burning bush, and God has no desire to set a bush on fire again because that was how he got our attention, but it wasn't how he wanted to keep it. We're looking for that huge adjustment like, God, you know, like, I can't believe I'm back here where I started. I'm back here again and in this place and we feel like we're failing sometimes or the enemy comes and reminds you that you're right back where you started. This is where you were three years ago. Nothing's changed, but you've changed. See, circumstances haven't and he's obsessed with your past and he's constantly pointing that stuff out. But the truth of the matter is, is it doesn't matter if you're right where you started in the natural sense because you've changed, you've learned things and you no longer think the way that you thought be before and you know the one who you're listening for think about it moses comes walking god needs to get his attention why because moses is paying attention to god he's doing what he's tending sheep there was a promise over his life that he was going to be the one to deliver israel he tried to do it his way he sees a, a, a egyptian abusing an Israelite, and so he goes over and he kills the Egyptian, has to hide the body, and everybody finds out, so he has to flee, and now he's just tending sheep, but that word hasn't disappeared. He's still the man that's supposed to deliver Israel, but he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not even close to where he's supposed to be. He's off tending sheep and somewhere in the desert, and God makes a bush light on fire, and he speaks to him and says, Moses, this is what I want from you. And does all these things, these miraculous signs and all that stuff, but he doesn't continue to speak through him through a burning bush. Some of us need to stop looking for God to light bushes on fire and start listening for the small voice that he's trying to talk to us in. Because think about it. Remember when, when Miriam and Arian, or Miriam and Aaron said, we, we, can, we can hear God too. You're a prophet, I'm a prophetess. Why do we have to listen to Moses? Don't we hear from God? Doesn't God speak to us too? It was like the first time of you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. I hear God. You're not the boss of me. I don't have to. And they got this attitude, and all of a sudden, the cloud shows up to the tent. And the voice speaks from the cloud. says, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, come out. I want to speak to you. The fact that their legs could carry them out of the tent, because they know what they've been saying. So remember when you were a kid and you knew you'd done something wrong and you were worried that mom maybe knew and all of a sudden you heard that voice, Roy? Actually, in my house it was Roy Wallace. You just knew, oh crap, she found out. Miriam and Aaron had know what they've been saying about Moses and suddenly the cloud shows up and the voice rumbles like thunder and says, come on out, I want to speak to you. But what, notice what he says to him. He says, if there's a prophet or a prophetess among you, I speak to them dimly, darkly, as with dreams or visions, but not so with my servant Moses, faithful in all of my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, and he even beholds my voice, my form. Why did you dare to speak against my servant Moses? What's he saying? 
I was a burning bush. Now I just speak to him like a friend speaks to a friend. Why? Because I did that to get his attention, but that's not how the relationship that I want with him. I did that to draw him into something so that I could speak to him. As we walk with Jesus, the, more, the less it goes from these huge crash course adjustments, this you've got to go, you're here doing this, and you need to be there doing that, and it starts to become just these little fine tunes where God comes and speaks just in a small voice and just says, hey, you're right where you're supposed to be, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Just, just take your net and throw it right there. You don't even got to move your boat. Because you're walking with me. You know something about me. It's different this time. Even though it looks the same, it's actually way different. Because you're actually right where you need to be. You thought you were just going fishing. You were getting set up because I told the, the girls to tell you that I was coming to Galilee for you. And you're right where you're supposed to be. I got a fire going on the shore because I knew you'd be where you're supposed to be. Why? Because you've walked with me enough that I've entrusted myself to you enough that I trust that you'll be where you're supposed to be and you'll be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And even if it looks like you're blowing it, just trust me. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're just waiting on a word from me. And when you get that word from me and you act on it, you'll see something happen you could have never imagined. It looked the same, but it was way, way different. Because Peter was not the same Peter Someone's phone agrees with me. It's saying amen. I'm just going to encourage myself with that. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Was that the tune? It was close, right? The longer we walk with him, the more we know him. And, And when I say walk with him, I mean actually like walking with him. Yielding to him. Letting him walk into any room he wants to walk into, but listening for the knock on the door and letting him in everywhere he wants to be let in. You know, because you can, that's why I said you have to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Because you can, if you want to, you can reserve little areas of your heart that are off limits to him. You, you can have an offense in your heart that you hold towards somebody, and it's your little pet offense. And you can stand before and say, I surrender all to you, God. It's all yours and all this. But in that little area of your heart, that's sealed off. And that's mine. And nobody's going to touch that because that's the offense that makes me who I am. And don't you dare try to touch that. I'll surrender everything, but I'm holding on to that little part. And you can do that if you want to. Here's the problem. If you think you can compartmentalize hatred, anger, frustration, bitterness towards just the person that you think is responsible for it you are fooling yourself but you're not fooling the people around you because i promise you it's leaking out everywhere you cannot hold on to a little bit of offense towards one person and think it's not going to work its way into every relationship that you have don't don't he's knocking on that door he respects you enough he's waiting for you to open it just surrender to him and say, listen, you can have all of this. I give up my right. I give up my right to hold on to anger for that thing that I don't understand and make accusation against you or make accusation against people. You know what the truth of the matter is? Maybe they did something really bad. Guess what? All that does is show you they need Jesus. Why would you let their lack of Jesus cause a lack of Jesus in you? Why would you let the fact that their heart's not fully surrendered keep you from fully surrendering yours? Thanks. And it, I found that the more free I become, the more things I leave behind. Like when you first start following him, it's this life of like, well, that's sin. I shouldn't do that. Like when I first started, got born again, I started realizing, oh, that's bad, that's sin, I shouldn't do that. That's bad, that's sin, I shouldn't do that. And oh my gosh, you hung on a cross for that, I shouldn't do that. Your word says don't do this, I shouldn't do that. And it was this life of discovery where it's like, I'm here and I need to be way over there. You know, in my thinking, I think over here and you're calling me to go way over there because you can't even tell me what you want to tell me where I'm at. But the longer I walk with him, the less it becomes these huge things and the more it starts to become this fine-tuning of things where it's like, that's not sin, but it's not my best. 
where I'm not choosing between sin and not sinning. I'm actually choosing between good and best because there's a million things in front of me and you said all things are permissible, God, but I know that there's only one thing that's your best and I want to find that thing and I want to do that. And even though those things aren't sin, they're not for me because you have something for me, God. It's not this like huge drastic shift anymore. It's these little tweaks, the little things. Just, just throw your net on this side of the boat. Before you had to go somewhere that you weren't and do something you weren't doing. Now you're where you need to be doing what you need to be doing. You just need to just, it's just this little tweak. You're, you look so much more like me than you used to. Now I just want to adjust this little thing. You've given up and left so many things behind and, you're, and, and, and I, the Father's pleasure over you and His pride over you. He's, he's, he's so proud of you for walking after Him and surrendering to Him and, and actually considering who He is. And He's not having to light bushes on fire because you're so paying attention that even when you're not totally paying attention, all He has to do is just whisper and suddenly He has your full attention. And now it's just this thing of like, you know, I have something better than that for you, Roy. That was okay for a time, but where I'm calling you to, you're going to have to leave that behind. Will you leave that to go where I'm calling you to go? Is more of me worth giving that up? Just little, small adjustments. I'm not saying every now and then you don't need a major adjustment. I probably do. <laughs> but this life is not about like a constant like, oh, Am I going to sin today or not? The Bible says, reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to Christ. I'm not saying that you don't have the option to sin. I'm saying that you're not a slave to it anymore. It's still a choice. It's just no longer a master. I mean, that's if the Bible is to be believed. That's if God really meant it when he said it. No longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. You still have a choice. Now it's actually a choice. It's no longer a master telling a slave. It's actually a false king in a different kingdom shouting over the fence, seeing if anybody that lives in that kingdom will fall for what they used to have to obey when they lived in his. That's what it is. And you can choose to follow it, but there was a time where you were a slave to it. And you did whatever it told you to do. Now you've been translated. It said he took us from the kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. You've been taken from one kingdom and placed into another. You now have a new king that sits on a throne. You now have a new Lord, a new savior, a new life. You're now a slave to righteousness. That's what your Bible says. That doesn't like a, you know, make you feel good theology. Like the Bible actually says this. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Over and over again, it says that. Uh, and if you, well, then if uh, that's the case, then how come? Because you can still, if you choose, listen to that guy who lives in another kingdom. Listen, he has no authority in the kingdom that you live in, but he'll shout and hope that you think he does. Why? Because he hates where you live. He wants you back. There's two kings, two kingdoms, and both of them hate where you are and want you where they are. You've been called from one into another. Now you've got a king who says, if you, he says every single time, listen, he says every single time that you're tempted. When you lived in the kingdom of this world, when you were tempted, there wasn't a way of escape because that was your master. That was your, your, that was your master. You were a slave to that. The slave doesn't have a choice. There was a time you didn't even choose to sin. It's just what you did because it was who you were. But then you became born again, a new creation in Christ. He became sin who knew no sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You got translated, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed into the kingdom of light. You now have a new master. You're now a slave to something different. You don't have a choice in this righteousness matter. That's, who you're, that's what you're a slave to. You get up every day and you live righteously because that's, as a slave to it, that's what your master is calling you into. You don't get a vote in that. Except for this, if you want to, you can choose to listen to the voice of the other king in the other kingdom who has no authority but would love for you to think he does. And he's not going to stop shouting. He's not going to stop trying to get you to come back over because he misses you. Why? 
because he's the originator of misery, loves company. And he's the only one that's hopeless, and he'd love to fool you into thinking that you are too. When you live a life that says, I can't help it, this is who I am, you've joined him in the hopelessness. But the king of hope, the king of peace says, no, that's not who you are. That's who you were. That's why I came and died, so that you could become a new creation in me. There's always another voice. There's always a better voice. If you don't like the voice that you're hearing, listen for the real voice, because the voice of the stranger you're not supposed to even follow. I don't even know where I am. I'm so far in the weeds. (laughs) I'm looking down, and I see page three, and that means nothing to me. I'm right where I need to be, doing right what I'm supposed to be doing. just need that little correction from him, right? Just that little tweak. Throw your net on this side. Here it is. The first time. The first time, Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw that, saw what, what Jesus had done, who he was, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. The first time, Seeing Jesus is a reminder of who he isn't. When he sees the goodness of Jesus and sees the love of Jesus and sees the kindness of Jesus, all he can think is that's not who I am. Get away from me because I'm not like you. You're way too good for me to be around you. Listen, Peter probably thinks he's doing Jesus a favor. He's a fisherman. He's sinful. probably is super aware of his sin because like David said day and night my sin was before me why was David's sin before him day and night well the first time it was before him day and night because God was trying to get him to see his sin so that he would repent but once he repented the sin stayed there sometimes because the enemy wanted him to believe that he was who the mistake he made he doesn't leave you alone just because you're forgiven he doesn't Because he doesn't want you to believe that you are. In fact, he'll constantly bring things up to you as long as you'll entertain it. He is happy to waste your time because he has nothing but time to waste. He will bring it up to you over and over and over and over again. And as long as you'll entertain it, as long as you'll dwell on it, that's why we're supposed to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That's why whatever things are lovely, pure, excellent, worthy of praise... We're supposed to meditate on those things. Why? Because when we give our time and attention to that, we're turning our face from the one who set us free from it, and we're facing the one he died for us to be free from. And he's happy to waste your time. And he'll just keep trying. And when Peter sees Jesus' goodness, all he can see is who he's not. You know, there was a time when you and I saw Jesus, and all we saw when we saw him was who we weren't. That's why he says, Jesus, uh, uh, God said, look, no man can see me and live, but Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Those two statements can't contradict each other, so they must complement each other. So that must mean when I actually see who Jesus is, there's something in me that has to die. That's why you have to be born again. Because the old you has to die so that the new you can be born again and put on Christ. I mean, it's, it's so, it, like, sometimes I'm like, Roy, you, something's off, because it can't be that simple, but it's really that simple. It's all in the Word. It's spelled out so clearly. God said that it, unless you become like a child, you can't receive the kingdom. That makes me believe that even a child can understand it, and maybe we've made it hard and confused it because we don't want it to be so simple because it confuses us that something that good could be that free. has to be harder because nothing in life is free and if you want anything you have to earn it so he tells jesus to get away second time he sees that it's jesus because john the disciple whom jesus loved you know every one of them could have said that Any one of you can say that about yourself. Then Roy, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
because we have to believe that God loved us. Otherwise, Jesus didn't come for us because God so loved you, me, us, the world, that he sent his son. He came because he loved you, not so he could. You get that through your thinking and start really actually believing that. You weren't hated by God. It says we were enemies in our minds, alienated in our minds. Our minds were hostile against him. The word says that God so loved the world that he gave his son because he loved you, Jesus came, not so that he could. He didn't come to make you lovable. He came because you were lovable. And he wanted you redeemed and bought back so that he could have the relationship with you that he always wanted. That's the Bible. That's like everybody knows that verse. How do we miss this stuff? How do we get him being up in heaven despising us and Jesus intervening somehow as, you know, like the, the cool older brother that's like, all right, I'll take the hit? That's not what it was. It was God's idea. It was the Father that loved you that sent his son. Jesus had to come, but he came because the Father loved you. Not because he hated you. Holy Spirit and Jesus were having a conference in heaven going, what are we going to do to change his mind? We love them. He hates them. Something has to happen. I don't know, Jesus. Why don't you go to earth and die in their place? Ooh, good idea, HS. I'm going to do that. Let's see if he'll buy into that plan. That's not how it went. It's not like God's the angry one, Jesus is the nice one, Holy Spirit's the weird one. (laughs) The Father loved you. Because He loved you, He sent His Son. Jesus coming showed you you were loved. It's all the proof you'll ever need. So, Peter, the first time, can't wait for Jesus to get away from him because all he can see is who he's not. The second time, all he wants to do is get to him as fast as he can. And if that means I jump in the water and swim because this little boat is going too slow, that's what I'm going to do because I need to get to Jesus. You know your relationship with him is growing when the first thing that happens when something goes wrong is you want to find him and be with him. Look, being around other Christians is awesome. It's amazing and it's necessary because it's not good that man should walk alone. Gathering together with people is a symptom of the disease of being in love with Jesus. It's not the disease, but it's surely a symptom. When you're in love with Jesus, the more in love with him you are, the more you want to be around people that are in love. And so, they, he said, I'm going to go fishing, and they're like, we'll come with you. I'm sure he was thankful to have them. I'm thankful to have other Christians around me. But when something goes wrong, when I'm facing discouragement, when I've missed it, whenever, whatever that is, there's one person I want, and I don't have to wait for someone else to tell me where he is, thankfully, because I see him, and I know that he's with me, and I know that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession, and I can boldly come before his throne at my time of need, and so the only thing that I want in that time, I love you, I love every Christian person I walk in relationship with, but there's something about getting alone and getting to him that I have to have. And this was Peter. He's different now. Everything looks the same, but everything's different because Peter's different because he has a revelation because he now knows who Jesus is and he knows why he came. Because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus is asking him, who do men say that I am? Some say you're this, some say you're that, Elijah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at Jesus and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. What does he say? I know who you are, and I know why you came. Jesus gets excited. Blessed are you, Simon Barjonas, for the flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I say your name is Peter, and on this rock, what rock? Receiving revelation directly from the Father. Not having to hear it from a person. Receiving directly from the Father. That was the rock that he said I would build my church on. This rock of revelation, of being able to hear from him and understand and know things because the Father who's in heaven spoke them to you. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Between the first and the second, some things happened. Peter learned some things. Peter understood some things. Peter discovered some things. More importantly, he discovered someone. And he knew why Jesus came, and he knew who Jesus was. And this time, nothing could keep him from Jesus, when the first time, all he could think of is, please get as far from me as you possibly can. 
Why? Because the first time all he could see was where he wasn't. The second time all he could see is where he wanted to be. When you see Jesus as the goal rather than a standard that is showing you how bad you are, you'll run to him. When you see him as the prize rather than the taunt, all you'll want to do is get to Jesus. And when you understand that all he wants is for you to be with him, you'll run even harder, even if it means jumping in and running to shore and swimming and getting your coat soaking wet. You know that rash you get on your legs when you go in salt water with clothes on? No, if, you, if you've ever surfed, you know what that's like. We used to drift when we were surfing. And, you know, you'd walk down to the beach like this, dry, you'd paddle out. And then always when you're in Florida surfing, it's during a storm. So there's this disastrous current, right? So you start in Lantana, you end up in Boynton. Those are two towns, you know, like Greer and Taylor's. Seriously. And you paddle out, and I mean, eventually you just get sick of fighting the current. You know, for the first hour that you're out there, you fight the current, you kind of stay close to where you paddled out at. And then after a while, you're like, you know what, I'll just walk back. Everyone does it at some point if you stay out long enough. You reach the point where the paddle isn't worth it, and you're like, I'll just walk back. And you always forget until you've gone about maybe 100 yards how miserable it is to walk with salty, wet shorts. Peter couldn't have cared less because Jesus was worth it. And because he saw that Jesus came for him right after his biggest failure. Think about it. He didn't just like deny that, like, you know, someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, are you one of those Christians that like really believes that if you put your hands on the sick, they'll recover? And you're like, well, I mean, I mean, I know, well, I mean, God could. It wasn't that kind of denial of Jesus. Like, it was like, I don't even know who he is or what you're talking about. To a little girl. She's like, hey, you're one of Jesus. You've got to be one of them. You're from Galilee. You know, this is a smart little girl. You know, and he's like, shut up, kid. <laughs> you know? You know how it is, like that 12, 13-year-old age they get to where they know enough to just drive you nuts. You know, when they know something and they say it, and you're like, oh. <laughs> like, no, it's true. You know, and you're like, yes, I know, but I don't want them to know, you know? That's where she's at. And she's like, no, you're one of them. You were with him. I don't even know the man. This is what Peter did three times. After swearing to Jesus that he wouldn't. After Jesus looked down and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before a cock crows twice. Peter says, I'll never do that. I won't even let them take you. Well, they took him. I'll never deny you. Well, he denied him. You know, it's probably why I mentioned, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but you ever, you ever think about the fact that when the angel spoke to the women at the cross, I mean at the um, grave, the angel said, go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm coming to Galilee. Was Peter one of the disciples? Are you sure? Okay, the Bible's sure. I'm sure. I just want to make sure you are. He was one of the, that's not a trick question. Peter was one of the disciples. Why didn't he just say, tell my disciples? That would have included Peter. I think it's because he understood. Peter feels so badly about what he's done that if I just say the disciples, he'll disclude himself from that group and think he's not worthy to be called one. So I'm going to call him by name because I want him there. Because I haven't changed my mind about him even though he changed his mind about me three times. Because he's better than we think. He's more than we deserve. And Peter looks, and John says, it's the Lord. And Peter, all he wants to do is get to him. Because what in that moment he realizes, he doesn't love me because I'm perfect. He doesn't love me because I do everything I say I'm going to do. Or because I don't do the things I say I'm not going to do. He loves me. He doesn't love my actions. He doesn't love my intentions. He loves me. In the midst of the biggest failure I've ever had, when I feel completely unlovable and all I know to do is go back on the boat and fish, Jesus came for me. I'm coming for him. It's pretty amazing that it's never recorded that Jesus cooked for the disciples that I know of in Scripture. Except this time. He does something for Peter that he's never done for him before after his biggest failure. Why? Because he doesn't do the things he does for you because you get it right. 
does the things he does for you because he loves you and he's committed to seeing you get it right. He's not looking at a momentary failure and judging your life by that. We do that. We find the worst moment in someone's life and we call him by that. That's why we call Thomas Doubting Thomas because we look at the one time he doubted and we call him by that mistake rather than looking at the one time he said, let's go die with Jesus and calling him Courageous Thomas. We do that. God looks at a life. He sees Peter and he sees Peter denying him, but he also sees Peter because he sees the end from the beginning. He sits outside at a time. He sees Peter deny him at the same time as he sees Peter stand in front of the same people he denied him to and say, now you see this Jesus whom you crucified as both Savior and Lord. He sees 3,000 of them get on their knees and say, what must we do to be saved? Because he believes in Peter even when Peter doesn't believe in himself. And when Peter realizes that, there's nothing that can keep him from Jesus. Listen, it may look the same from the outside, but you're not the same. You've learned, you've grown, and you're not the person that you were. Here's the last thing. This is the one that excites me the most because I feel like this is so, so specifically for us. Well, I think it all is, but the first time Jesus does this, says in Luke chapter 5, Six. It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. The first time, they couldn't contain what Jesus wanted to give. The first time, he poured out this amazing blessing of a supernatural catch. They couldn't contain. Their nets began to break. And you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't come to him and say, well, you blew it, you ruined it, you missed your chance. I was going to pour out such a huge catch, but you didn't have your nets ready. You were mending nets, you should have mended faster. Oh, I guess you didn't think that I was capable of blessing you with that many fish. Well, because of your unbelief, that's it, you missed it, no chance again. No, what does he do? He shows them who he wants to be, and then he trusts Peter and them to the process and says, I still want to do this for them, and they're going to go through a process, and I'll give them a taste, I'll give them a glimpse. He'll give you a word over your life, and then it'll look like he's abandoned you or given up on that word. He hasn't. He's just waiting till you become the person he needs you to become to be able to steward what he wants to do in your life so that the next time when he puts that many fish in the net, the nets don't break because check this out. John had to record this. Why? Because he wanted us to know this. John chapter 21 verse 11, Simon Peter went out and drew the net up to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the nets, the net was not torn. What did Jesus not do? He didn't say, you missed your chance. I had something for you, but you blew it. And next time I'm wanting to entrust that larger catch to somebody, I'll find somebody else. Now, what does he say? That's still my heart for you. I still want that for you. That was a glimpse of my goodness. And there's a time coming when I'm going to pour that out again. And this time you'll be able to steward it and not one net fish will fall through a hole because your net will be able to contain it. Listen, if you have a promise from God and you feel, because listen, the enemy knows your past and he's obsessed with it because like, he doesn't know your future. He has a pretty good idea about your future. Why? Because he's seen what happens when people surrender to the Lord. He's pretty sure of what's going to happen because it's an age-old story that's played out time and time again. People give their lives to Jesus. They yield to his lordship. They get filled with the Holy Spirit and suddenly they become more than he ever thought that was possible. So he's pretty terrified about who you're becoming and the path that you're on because he's seen it so many times. He heard Jesus say, Father, the ones that you've given to me are in my hand and no one shall be able to take them from me. He heard Jesus say that. He knows that he's hopeless. He knows where it's heading. He just doesn't know exactly what it looks like. But he loves to come to you and start to point out your past. Listen, you may have been a time in your life where you walked through something, you experienced something, and now the enemies come to you and said, after all that, you're right back where you started. You're no better off than you were before. Listen to me, your circumstances may look the same. I'm telling you, for some people in here, there's people whose circumstances look the exact same, but it doesn't matter because you're not who you were and you've gone through a process, and you might be right back where you started, but now you know some things, now you've learned some things, now you've walked with him long enough that you've been changed, and you trust him, and you've given your life to him, and you're yielding, and you're actually right where you need to be, doing right what you need to be doing, and the enemy will come to you and say, you think that he's going to pour out a catch like that again? Are you kidding me? After what happened the last time? Last time he entrusted you with that, you weren't ready for it. You remember what happened? The fish started coming out, the nets started to break. He's not going to do that again. Why would he do that? You didn't steward it well the first time. Maybe not. Maybe you weren't quite ready. 
but he believes that if you will follow him, he'll make you the person that can contain it the next time he's ready to pour it out, and there will be a next time. It's coming, I promise you. Don't you dare give up on the word that he spoke over your life, over the promises that he's given you. Don't you dare sell yourself cheap and settle for a half full net. Don't you dare go back and say, well, I guess it's not going to happen because the first time I screwed it up. You haven't screwed anything up so big that he can't fix it. You were ripped, but he mended you. You were torn. He made you whole. Come on. And that's for everybody. Listen, you feel right now like you're right back where you started. You're not even close. The only thing that looks the same is the circumstance and all it is is another opportunity for God to show up, walk into the scene and tell you what to do. You just need a little word from him and the next time you drop your nets down there's something waiting for you much bigger than you could ever imagine and more than you could contain the first time. But now through the process you're ready to steward it. And he's just waiting for people who are standing where he wants them to be, doing what he wants them to be doing so he can give them a word to have his attention. He just wants to have your attention, that's it. So I just, there's one more thought that I had in this. I want to close with this. What if, um, what if he gave Peter the greatest catch he ever had so that Peter would choose him in the face of success rather than the lack of it? What if, and this is what I felt like God said, what what if God doesn't want reluctant Jonas, he wants eager Peter's? What if he's tired of, of people saying, no, I'm not going to do that, and turning and running, and you hear these stories of, you know, I ran from this, and I didn't want to do that, and God, you know, and the, what if he doesn't want to have to send a whale to swallow you up and spit you out on shore? What if he wants you to jump on the water and swim to shore where he's at? Because he's tired of people who turn to him when there's nothing else to turn to. And he really wants people who he can bless to the point that they'll look at what they thought was the most amazing thing that they want and say, you know what, that was what I was after, but now that I've seen him, that's worthless and I'll go after him. That's what Paul said. He said, all these things that I once counted as gain, I now count as loss for the sake of knowing him. What if he doesn't want to starve you to a place of choosing him because you have to? What if he'd rather bless you and show you his goodness, and in the middle of blessing, you say, that's good, but he's better. What did he say? He said, what did Peter do? See, he followed Jesus, but first, what did he do? He went down, and he said he pulled the net to shore, brought all the fish up on the shore, and then Jesus said, it said that Jesus had a fire going, and he had some fish cooking, but he told Peter, he said, now you go get some of the fish. What's he saying? Peter, there's things that I'm going to do for you, but there's things I want you to do to add to what I'm doing. Peter, you're going to play your part in this. I'm not going to do everything for you. I'm going to invite you into this, and I'm going to empower you to do it, but you're going to go get some of the fish that you caught, bring them, join them with mine, and together we'll make a meal. So I just... I feel like uh, 2017 for a lot of us was one of those years. I do. I, I feel like it was a year of looking and going, but God, you promised and God, you said, and we started to see and, you know, all the, and, 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 and all it did was just expose. There's just some mending that needs to go on in the net still. And he's not in heaven disgusted with us going, why isn't your net ready? He's in heaven going, I'm going to make their nets ready. They just follow me. The next time they're where I tell them to be, doing what I tell them to do, when they put their nets down, they'll be ready. There'll be people who, I don't have to stand on the shore and do jumping jacks. I just have to give a word and they'll obey. They'll be so close. Even when, they're, even when they think they're living just on what they want in their heart, they'll actually be positioning themselves for what I want to do. You think about that. He said, if you delight yourself in Him, He'll give you the desires of your heart. What's that mean? It means that if by my delight is Him, He'll actually change and what I want in my heart will be things that He puts there. He'll give me the desires of my heart. So I made for all the world look like I'm just going fishing, and I might not even realize I'm doing the will of the Father when I say I'm going to go fishing. Guess what I'm doing? I'm positioning myself right where I need to be to do, and doing right what I'm supposed to be doing so that when He gives that little word, all I do is say, that's your word. Boom, drop the nets. Here come the fish. And so I just want to encourage us to take this week and really just get with him and say, God, is there anything that I didn't learn in 2017 that you want me to learn? I don't want to, have to take those tests over again. I, I, don't, I don't want to miss another harvest, God. I know there will be another one, but I don't want to miss this one. 
The next time you tell me to drop my nets, I want my nets to be capable of containing what it is that you want to pour out, God. I want to be able to steward what you give me. I don't even want to lose one fish. I want all 153 of them. Is there anything I need to learn? Is there anything that you want to show me, God? Is there anything that, that is there any room that, that you're at the door knocking and I'm sitting in the room going, well, I guess if Jesus wanted to be part of this, he'd just walk through the wall. Maybe, but maybe he's standing at the door knocking waiting for you to let him in because he wants you to choose him. And just ask ourselves during this week, like legitly, because I just feel like 2018 is going to be a time of just absolutely seeing that we're right where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden he speaks that one little word, and suddenly something greater than we ever imagined starts coming into the boat. I really believe that. Not just in our in our in our in this church family, I believe that for our church family, I believe that for his church. And I also believe that for our personal lives. But I do know this, he's patient, and he's not wasteful. He's extravagant, but he's not wasteful. And he'll patiently wait until we learn what we need to learn, see what we need to see, experience what we need to experience, so that the next time he pours out, we can steward what it is he wants to give. I I feel like that in my own life. Like I feel like he showed me something and then suddenly I felt like he abandoned that and walked away on it. And I honestly, I had times during this last year where I was like, God, why would you show us this and then just leave us? God, why would you show me these things and then just walk off or have this happen? And I felt like we were right there. And then this happens and now I don't even know anymore. I'm just going to go back fishing, I guess. I'm just going to do what I was doing before that because I don't know what else to do. And I think that's where we are. And just waiting for that word. But in the meantime, making sure the nets are ready. Making sure that we've learned what we need to learn, become what we need to become so that we can steward it faithfully and not one fish is lost. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. I thank you for who you are and for your commitment to us as your children. God, I thank you that you're patient and loving and kind towards us. I thank you, God, that that you're more committed to seeing us become who you created us to be than we are, and that you're more committed to the process than we are, God. And I just ask that we would yield ourselves fully to you in this and say, God, if I need to learn something, let me learn it. If there's a hole in my net, show me so I can mend it. Because I want to be able to steward everything you pour out and let not one fish be lost. In Jesus' name, amen.